Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello and welcome to the Food Insight Podcast, where I, Kimberly Wilson, Chartered Psychologist and Food Fan, talk all things food, psychology and everything in between. In today's episode, I also give you a little backstage pass behind the scenes in food publishing. My guest is Claire Nivett. Claire is the last ever food editor of Jamie Oliver's Jamie Magazine, which published its last edition in December 2017. She took some time out before she sets off on her travels to talk to me about the role, what it was like to work with one of the world's most famous chefs, and shares a whole bundle of heartwarming food memories. We've only just met, but she's already shown me such openness, warmth and generosity that she's rapidly becoming one of my favourite people. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Claire Nivett. I'm here today with Claire Nivett, is it possibly yeah. pronounced Nivett? Yep. Claire, for the value and the goodness of the audience could you introduce yourself and what you do or what you did yes <laughs> um hi my name is claire Nivitt, um and i was until very recently the food editor for jamie oliver's jamie magazine okay so we're definitely gonna have to have a, a little <laughs> chat about that and about yeah. the kind of end of the magazine which is, is really recent so the latest yeah so the last issue went to print on the 10th of november and is on sale on the 1st of December, so... so in a couple of days. Yes, exactly. Oh, wow. So we'll talk about that, but I wanted to kick off, but we usually kick off um, on these Breaking Bread episodes with a meaningful food for you or your food memory. Mm-hmm. Um, so what have you got? Okay, in my magic bag down by my side, I can reveal to you that I have... Bum, so bum, bum. A can of Heinz cream of chicken soup. I love it. <laughs> I already love it. Okay, so because I, and and so when people come on to the the podcast, they they worry mm-hmm. about you know having to make something quite fancy. Yeah, clearly that wasn't <laughs> it wasn't a problem for me. It wasn't one of your concerns, <laughs> and I, and I love that because actually there's going to be I can feel quite an interesting story behind this can of cream of chicken soup. So why? Is this kind of soup so meaningful for you? What's the memory link? So I've been um, actually really enjoying trying to think of what could be my food memory because um, I'm quite lucky in that I have lots of lovely memories that I can draw from. Um, But when I was thinking about home and my childhood and my immediate family, the first thing that came to mind was my mum's chicken plate pie. Yeah, that's it. I actually spoke to my mum yesterday about this because I, I wanted to let her know that I was going to be revealing that she isn't the best cook in the world. I love, yeah, yeah. I love her so much. Um, <laughs> Hi, mum. FYI. <laughs> I'm going to slate you. Um, and what the chicken plate pie was, um, for me, in terms of the memory, would be every Monday my dad would take us swimming in the local um, pool after school and we would come out faces hot and steaming from these incredibly hot swimming baths and overly chlorinated I don't know why but yeah they felt the need to really make sure that none of us kids had any sort of disease um and then we'd be sat in the car arches on heading back in the dark for me it must have been winter and I would just pray that when I got home that it would be mum's chicken plate pie that would be on the table 
and that consisted of chicken pie and the sauce was made with a can of Heinz chicken soup. Okay, so take me through the actual making of the chicken plate pie. Did you talk to your mum and have her walk you through it? Yeah, so I mean, what was great about the food that my mum would cook for us as kids was that there was a lot of convenience, but there would also always be some sort of homemade element as well. So my mum makes the best short crust pastry going, and I love... And she really knows how to make it. She always makes it from scratch, regardless of what day of the week it is. So um, it would be on the same plate every time, this sort of white ceramic plate with this sort of blue snowflake that went around the edge. And then there would be the filling, which would be chicken breast, peas, carrots, and then the classic tin of chicken soup. And then there's just delicious short crust buttery pastry, normally with a couple of birds that she'd cut out of pastry too on the top. And that was just absolute joy. The kind of squidgy layer between where the sort of soup met the pastry was just my favourite bit. And um, I think the other thing that made me bring this was when I started thinking about what my food memory was as a child, it kept coming back to the kitchen table Mm -hmm. and we spent so many hours around that kitchen table and that really kind of summarised my my childhood and my and my sort of uh, I think what what I've realized as I was thinking about it and what I think about food now and what food means to me now is that it's about bringing people around the table Mm -hmm. I had so much fun I mean when we came back from school if we'd had a bad day we would me my brother my sister and I would sit around the table and we would get through an entire loaf of bread and we would just debrief mum on everything that had happened that day and it was it was wonderful and yeah, I've got. I was going to do some photos, but I um, I don't have them to hand because they're back in my hometown. But um, oh, I mean, we can probably have a bit of time if you, you can send those to me and I yeah. can upload those. Okay, cool. Like, if it helps to kind of yeah, tell contextualise you and then put you in place. And that is a lovely story. How old-ish were you when you have this kind of memory? I away? think it must have been around sort of seven-ish. Okay. I think yeah. I mean, if I think about that table, other sort of memories that come to mind. Is, I think we must have a photo of it because my sister was just hilarious. She, my, we used to have a damson tree in the garden, which sounds really, you know, but I mean, we didn't have like this crazy acreage of land. We're I'm just chronically jealous of anyone <laughs> with access to damsons. I know, I, I know. I, so many people probably don't know of them, but we just happened to buy a house that had a damson tree in the garden. The best um, jam in the world. Oh my god, jam. it's so Hands delicious. Down, without a doubt, no contest. Delia Smith's plum jam made with damsons is just, yeah, we've got jars and jars and jars of it in the freezer. I'll have to bring you some damsons. <laughs> on with your story. Um, it was essentially my sister, she's, I can't see, I can just see her face now, covered in this like purple splattering. And she used to come down early in the morning, like before everyone was up, and just eat leftover damson crumble for breakfast. <laughs> Oh, it was just, uh, I mean, and we used to play this game because mum never bothered to boil the jams and so you could get the stones out. So it was always a bit of a stone in. bit of a hazard, basically. <laughs> we were taking our lives in our hands when we ate this dams and crumble. But um, we would have a little pot in the middle of the table and you would put your stones into the pot and you would do the old rhyme of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief, and apparently that was who you were going to marry. So... <laughs> I don't remember. I've, I had someone different, obviously, every time, but um, that was always quite fun. That's so. I mean, it's so lovely. And and what's really clear is that kind of this was the kickoff. Mm. Yeah, the, the soup has kind of led you down this little lovely merry path mm. around what happens around the table. And and I think there is. I mean, obviously, anyone who listens to the podcast knows I'm a bit biased about this, but there is, of course, something really important and essential about the way food does bring people together. It's it's our modern equivalent, I think, of the campfire, isn't it? It's actually people coming together and if we think about in times past in historical times it would be about coming around the campfire to eat together the spoils of the collection of the day of the hunt or whatever it might be and reinforcing those bonds of community or the bonds of the tribe the bonds of the group yeah and in the absence of that what we do have and actually perhaps what we have less and less of is the kitchen table mm-hmm. um, or the dining table, wherever it is in, in, in your house or whatever, where people come together to eat, to be both kind of physically nourished, but as you tell this story yeah. about the debriefing at the end of the school day, to be emotionally nourished as well. And and that's such a central part of your story. And because there is this lovely 
interweaving or overlapping of the, the physical nutritional sustenance but also what's happening over the food you telling your mom you or your sister or your brother talking about the emotional experience mm-hmm. of the day mm-hmm. yeah definitely um I think when I was thinking about this and what this meant and being around the table that I, I suddenly had all these other different memories um I, for example, I remember when being a teenager and first bringing like friends back for like pizza or whatever it might have been, and we sat around the same kitchen table that I had done always as a child, and my mum would be sort of loitering and you know helping, and I, that for me was completely normal. And then sort of going away from the table and my friends being like, "Oh man, why is your like mum hanging around the kitchen? That's so not cool." And I was like, well, "That's that's kind of what we do." <laughs> like, yeah, we just kind of this is what happens. Like we that's a completely natural thing for me. So that was obviously mildly upsetting, but mm. it was quite interesting. I mean, you know, it's all part of mm. teenage growing up and that whole cool thing. But I wonder now how much people still sit around the kitchen table. Mm. I mean, being in London and being single and sharing a house with people, you, there is that element of family to an extent because you share, and I always cook for housemates and that kind of thing. But it's not the same as sitting down with with sort of family every day which which you did as a sort of child and I because I don't have my own family I wonder how many people still Mm. sit around the kitchen table I mean when I go home to see my parents now they sit down and have breakfast together every morning and we make quite a ritual of it I'd make a ritual of any meal obviously (laughs) Um, and I think breakfast is probably one of my favorite meals of the day because um, it's such an indulgent thing to sit down and have that time together and start the day with communication and mm. and I always really cherish that and I really love that when I do go home my parents have their porridge with their fruit they sit down at the table they have their orange juice they take their supplements and then they'll do some sort of puzzle or some sort of game together some sort of like like active game thing whether it be something they call picture wits or like a crossword or something and it's just I feel incredibly lucky to have a family that enjoy sitting down together and talking and food as much Mm. as we do no I mean I don't know that that's off the top of my head and I can certainly have a look at the last kind of study that was done on it but uh, you know I think we can safely say fewer and Mm. fewer people are eating Mm. around the table I mean first of all we have fewer I think traditional family configurations anyway but also there's much more I think of an increasing habit of people sitting in front of the television and kind of eating as a almost as a as an adjunct to watching yeah. TV or in the evening, you remind me. I mean, what's really lovely about the way you describe it? And apologies, all listeners, to squeaky chairs. If that's what you hear, there's lots of we're in very very squeaky chairs here. But it reminds me of um, I used to I used to run a therapy service in a prison, and the the number one thing that uh, we focused on in establishing the therapeutic relationship was about being consistent and about being reliable. So if you told, and, and particularly in the, in the lives of the population who are in prisons, they come from kind of very chaotic, come from incredibly traumatic backgrounds where things are unreliable, people mm-hmm. are unreliable, relationships are unreliable, home is unreliable, they may have been evicted as children several times, or they may have been to, one person had been in 40 different wow. placements in their lives um, in the care system. So the very first thing that we worked on as therapists in this environment was about reliability and consistency and I will be where I say I will be mm-hmm. at the time I say I'm going yeah. to be there and um, and this becomes a foundation for trust which is then the only way you can have a foundation for any kind of therapeutic yeah. work to happen and um, through that process um, the the psychological holding of a consistent space and that's mm-hmm. kind of what you described mm-hmm. that the kitchen table was a place where you knew mm-hmm. your family could be found yeah and you knew a discussion could be had yeah and that the the stresses of the day could be kind of shared and resolved mm-hmm. definitely with the rest of your family yeah. yeah um and i think that my approach to food now and what i mean if anyone suggests meeting up or doing anything and there's more than well there's basically more than me involved then I'm just my first reaction is right how can I cater for this event what are we going to do about food (laughs) yeah and and what's the the biggest thing that I can do or give to this scenario and um, for me the ultimate gift you can give anybody is time Mm -hmm. and I spend a lot of time cooking and that's I think a huge 
a huge way I show love to someone is by cooking for them. And um, just in so many ways, because of time, because of nourishment, because of thinking about what they like and what they're going to enjoy mm-hmm. and trying to tailor food to different people's like wants and needs or um, uh, just giving someone something that they might not have normally. I think also, like many of us, as I was saying, with bringing people together around a table, it's all I want to do all the time. I mean, if I think about when I went to uni, um, when I was sort of growing up in my sort of hometown with my girlfriends, we spent so much of our time going out for dinner. Nothing posh or fancy, but just there was a really great Indian place in our hometown. And we would be there at least probably once a week. <laughs> and... And at university, the same, you know, obviously did the whole going out and getting drunk and all that silliness. But I also would go out for dinner with my boyfriend at the time and then try to recreate the food that we had in different restaurants all over Bristol. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I don't know where I was going mm-hmm. with that. <laughs> <laughs> but it reminds me, I mean, I suppose it's worth, because um, we actually barely know each other. Yes. <laughs> Really good point. <laughs> no, we met and we had that first meeting, and then you invited me very kindly. Mm, thank you very much. That's okay. <laughs> to your leaving do, and it was really funny when I sat down because I was sat down next to you know people who've known you since childhood, <laughs> um, since school, and I'm like, oh, how do you know Claire? And I said, I don't. <laughs> um, but so you're you're leaving meal mm-hmm. or kind of leaving Jamie magazine was. Well, it was a leading meal. It was a big dinner yep. of how many guests did you have? You, I had 30 people. a lot of people. Yeah, it was a bit mad to be honest with you. So when the magazine closed, I decided that I was going to take some time out and leave London for I'm not sure how long. Um, we might not let you back. Yes, well, we'll see. It depends <laughs> how good that food was. Um, yeah, so I decided that I'm in the throes of it now, really. I'm trying to work out what to do next, but take some time out, spend some time with family. Um, maybe travel etc etc and I obviously the classic thing to do is just say right going to be in this pub on this day and Mm -hmm. um, please everyone come down and I just wanted to do something a bit more involved than that and essentially yeah just give myself the biggest headache ever (laughs) I literally finished work on the Friday and then had this supper club on the Thursday in a friend's space that hadn't actually finished being built (laughs) and yeah, I mean, when I first started talking about it, a friend of mine was like, oh, I can I can help with dessert. And another friend was like, oh, I'll, I'll help on the, on the day to give you a hand in the kitchen. Sadly, both of them had to end up working. So I basically cooked a three-course dinner for 30 people on my own. But Was it, was it like MasterChef? <laughs> you could have running back uh, and forth to the fridge. It was actually not too bad. Fingers. Yeah, exactly. Bleeding everywhere. Um, it wasn't too bad. Uh, the friend of mine who owns the space um, in Spitalfields, which is this really beautiful mm. bakery and workspace called Benk and Bow. He is a, a massive food lover and wants to really get into the baking side himself. So he was with me in the kitchen and he was like, he helped, well, he actually did make the, um, a lot of the bread that we had on the day, which was lovely. So I had a sort of a sidekick who was there kind of like, you know, cheering me on. But I, I just had to prep the hell out of those. So basically I went shopping on the Monday and started prepping on the Tuesday and Wednesday. <laughs> And then Thursday, it was it was in, under fairly good control by then. Um, and I'd sort of tested all the recipes the weekend before, so, yeah. <laughs> no, and it went, it was, I mean, it was a really, it was a delicious meal. And it was, you did seem, because I kept popping in, I know a couple yeah. of us did, like, do you need any help? We don't need to cry. And it was like, no, this is under control. This is, it's all yeah, fun. I mean, I managed to actually sit down at the table and eat with everyone as well, which I've done a couple of supper clubs before for charity. And that was more just doing a kind of pop-up event and just wanting to raise money and mm-hmm. to put on this food for people but obviously because this was my sort of leaving do I wanted to sit down at the table with everyone and essentially that's what the thought was behind the whole thing I wanted to a have the opportunity to cook for loads of people because for me it's just it's a learning curve I, I love doing it and it's kind of a bit of a challenge um b you know the opportunity to get 30 people that you know and love around a big table just you never ever get that chance mm. unless it's in a restaurant and this was in a private space so that was really gorgeous and then um and then to, you know to kick it all off I, I was able to do it for charity so I was mm. able to tick three really big boxes and it's yeah because we haven't mentioned that so you were raising money on the night for for shelter for shelter yeah so um I was actually interested in doing something for a mental health charity and I wanted to do something um local but I wasn't 
that familiar with any charity in particular and going into winter I just it's it's so cold yeah. and working in Soho and just living in East London over the last couple of years I think the rate of homelessness just seems to have gone through the roof and I just thought it was the most appropriate mm. place to put that Absolutely. money so and of course mental health problems play a massive role in rates of yeah of course anyway mm. so I think it, it, it ties in really well I think it is definitely uh, I know we had a little chat about it about what we could possibly do kind mm. of in the future yeah when you if when you return <laughs> to London we'll see um, but okay so you worked at Jamie Magazine for, so you were made editor food editor yeah let's when did you start this? Okay, from the beginning. Okay, so uh, I started five years ago last August and I came in bottom of the pile. I came in as editorial assistant. What, and what does that mean so, for someone who's not in media or magazine? Sure, so editorial assistant essentially means you're a bit of a dog's body and you do filing, you help the rest of the team with whatever their needs might be you uh, filing, photocopying... Um, it's administrative. Yeah, mainly administrative, but with the small team that we had, I mean, there was about six of us, it also meant that you got to have your hands a little bit on a little bit of writing news stories, um, and just because of the nature of, of the business, you got to see a lot of stuff and got to quite quickly get an idea of how it all worked. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, working for a company like Jamie's, it was, I mean, any opportunity to just be surrounded by people that were so involved with food was just a complete blessing. So yeah. there was always something going on. Yeah, so I started editorial assistant five years ago. And then fairly quickly, actually, the deputy editor left about three months after I started. And uh, um, she wasn't immediately replaced, which left me with the opportunity to just try and take on as much responsibility as possible. And... My interest had always been food mm -hmm. and obviously the magazine creates a huge amount of food content as well as sort of travel, lifestyle, news and reviews and that kind of thing. We actually create a certain amount of recipes every month um, and these all need to be tested and decided and edited and etc. So I started taking over the managing of the recipe testing side of things. From that I sort of became assistant editor after a couple of years and then after a couple of years of that I was made food editor so I was made food editor two years ago this September and that means that you have kind of overall responsibility for the food content is mm -hmm. that right so you are yeah will you explain that? so um we have a really small team as I said like most if you look in the you know the first couple of pages of magazines you'll see sort of vast swathes of people and names and titles that you probably don't know what they do um and we were just so tiny I mean we had our editor we had, well, at times we didn't have a deputy editor. Um, we had one sub-editor. Um, normally you would have like a chief sub and then um, subs below that. We just had one. And um, me, one food editor, and then an editorial assistant. They then became oh. junior writer, and we had an intern for a little while. And then we had an art director and deputy art director. So very, very small team. And in terms of food editor... And that small team, what was lovely is that it was a very democratic approach to content. But there was lots of things to balance. So mm. you've got to think that you've got a brand that is Jamie and his style of food and his style of cooking. Mm -hmm. Also his campaigns, mm -hmm. the things that he's interested in at the moment, the other things that he's talking about in his TV programmes, in his charity work and in his the campaigns that he's running. Then you've got... The purpose of the magazine, so what you're trying to achieve and who you're talking to in your audience. Then you've got food trends, so things that are popular at that time. You've then got things like seasonal occasions, Christmas, New Year, Easter, and as well as that, always thinking about nutrition, health, because that's a massive thing for Jamie too. Mm. So there's always a huge amount of things that you're thinking about in terms of what you're going to put in that magazine mm -hmm. that month and we would have uh, weekly monthly meetings with the team with um, the editorial team within the magazine to talk about what we were going to cover and who was hot now and what was on trend and and from that we would then commission certain food writers that we knew within the industry to write recipes mm -hmm. Jamie had his own food team so we would commission them to write certain recipes and then obviously Jamie himself 
would have his um, food feature within the magazine as well. So I would have a meeting with Jamie once a month and we would go and sit down and be like, right, okay, it's the June issue, we've got this in the magazine, we've got that going on. And we'd have a few suggestions of things that he might want to cover that he hadn't covered before. I mean, you have to think that this man sort of sits in a room and has lots of meetings. Mm. His time is allocated to an extent where you'd have like one day of meetings. So you have people coming in constantly, like meeting after meeting. And he's incredible. I don't know how he does it. I really don't. Um, the enthusiasm and... I mean, I'd have about an hour or two with him. And we would get in there, talk about the sort of time of year, the theme of the issue. And then we'd just sort of go for it. And it would be me, one of his food team, maybe our, our art director. We'd all be talking about how it's going to look on the page, mm-hmm. um, what he's excited about. And then he'd just start literally sort of peeling off all these ideas and recipes and you'd just be like scribbling down these ideas which was wonderful yeah it is really good as a as a an audience member as a reader to know that he is was involved mm, that it wasn't just a kind of well, i'm gonna stick my name on it and then absolutely see how not it flies. yeah mm, no very much and um like i said you know going into those meetings that were very brief knowing that he'd had so many other meetings that day mm. and um and, I mean, the moments of genius that he would have as well, which were just, he'd, he'd just have this look on his face, and he'd have, like, a lightning bolt moment, and, you'd be, and he'd just say something, and I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but it would be like, that sounds insane, but <laughs> let's go for it. And we'd, try, we'd test out these recipes, and, and sometimes it would be like, oh, I'm not quite sure, and then sometimes it'd be like, this is absolutely inspired and completely amazing. Yeah, I think sometimes a lot of people didn't know that the content that was in the magazine was exclusive recipes from Jamie that were always new mm. and that was a source of, of content that you couldn't get anywhere else. It wouldn't be from a book, it wouldn't be online. The recipes would eventually end up online but there would be completely unique recipes to the magazine, each issue. Gosh. Mm. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And how far in advance were you when you say, like, this is a June issue? When would that meeting be taking place? So, um, we varied. Sometimes we were quite close to the bone, <laughs> quite often, actually. But in general, I mean, you're working two or three months ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the famous phrase in the food world is Christmas in July and that's when you start eating your mince pies and I mean it lasts for you know you're, you're having Christmas for about six months um, which can be can be torturous sounds good yeah exactly <laughs> yeah I mean all of our Christmas shoots would always be done in the height of summer um, so you know Jamie's in a barn with the fire roaring and it's going to be a Christmas jumper I did a, I did a shoot for one of the um, the Bake Off Christmas books and it was it was July and we're like Oh, try to look like it's cold outside. It's one of the hottest <laughs> things. <laughs> Practice that shiver. Exactly. Christmas jumpers. Sweating. I know. I know. I mean, sometimes because of seasonality, we would be working a year in advance because mm. 
you can't get wild garlic out of season. You can't um, get damsons out of season. So we we would do things like that because you hear and you think that quite a lot of the time food is cheated. You know, you hear stories that ice cream is actually mashed potato mm-hmm. and all this sort of thing. But everything we ever shot was always real and it was always the recipe. I mean, there aren't sort of tweaks and things you can do to make you know, to make sauces look hotter than they yeah. are, or whatever. Um, or try to make chili look appetising. That's the classic yeah. one. It? It's a stew. It's <laughs> yeah. brown. Exactly. Olive oil is the answer <laughs> to everything, basically. But yeah, I mean, everything. The recipe would be written, then it would be tested, then it would go to the shoot. So we would be, we would the recipe that you saw in the image would be the recipe that you'd be making in the magazine. Fantastic. So it's a. I mean, I think all endings are. Are mixed, aren't they? There's always that sense of loss, and I, I, I did something recently where I was talking about loss, and I always get worried about saying it because people get a bit scared about the word mm-hmm. and the assumption that all losses are terrible. But obviously, there's the the closing, the closing of one door, mm-hmm. <laughs> the sure. opening of another. Yeah. And do you know what you want to do after this, or are you going to just take a little bit of a I... sabbatical and, and yeah, I'm happens? taking a bit of time out to reflect. I mean, I've always worked in and around food I mean the first job I ever had was in um, a Sri Lankan restaurant in my hometown of Malvern and I started off washing pans and all that kind of thing and then started doing some prep and and you know did a bit of everything did a bit of front of house and it, that's where I fell in love with food 100% because I had I mean I my parents used to cook rice and I'd be like this doesn't taste of anything why why are we eating this thing it's so weird don't get it doesn't taste of anything and then I worked in this fantastic honestly probably some of the best food I've ever had still to this day is it still going no sadly not but I still know the owners and I still go and see them and hang out and get them to feed me when when I can (laughs) but I mean the first time I had nasi garang and um they had he had this dish called lamb masbadam which was this pickled lamb there was a pork mustard curry sambals and um vade and just I mean the sort of food that you I've never had anything like it anywhere else. Um, I went to Sri Lanka this time last year, actually, for the first time, which was a real mm. sort of pilgrimage. And it was amazing to try some of the food from that country, from its origin, which was amazing. But I digress. <laughs> what am I going to do in the future? I think food will always have a major part in, in everything I do. I kind of see myself... Maybe getting a bit more, as much as I have been very practical with the food side of things, you know, you sit behind a desk, you get recipes in, you, you, you test them, you shoot them, and that's really wonderful and a lovely interaction with food. I do miss cooking um, on a regular basis. So part of me wants to maybe get into a kitchen and do a couple of days a week, just sort of honing a sort of more catering style mm-hmm. of food. Um, and then another side of me has always been interested in mental health. I grew up with... My mum suffered from mental health issues. My dad recently um, had a bit of a, a breakdown and it's always just been something I've been hugely aware of. And I think my interest in food and community and, again, like getting people around the table has always been a really important thing for me. So I'm kind of looking at maybe something that I could connect the two mm. with somehow. There's something that comes to mind and someone I've been... I got in touch with them ages ago, and apparently they did email me back, but it bounced out, so they've just dropped me a line again. But it's, um, I think they're in Camden, it's called Refugee Kitchen. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to try well, and actually. pop down and do a day or a couple of days in their kitchen. It's kind of a, well, a soup kitchen for refugees, mm-hmm. but the idea is that it's food that will be familiar. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I brilliant. think there's something really, again, this Gosh, kind of yeah. idea of home, yeah. away from home, and a sense of connection and belonging that can be evoked through mm-hmm. eating something that's yeah familiar 100 percent um so i'm gonna have hopefully have a, a meeting and a chat with them um but, but the, the other thing of course which i this is my my soapbox and my specialism is, is the role of food in mental health mm-hmm. and um and brain health so and i think they're kind of two slightly different but overlapping things you know they have we have the structural aspects mm-hmm. like so nutrients will help the structure and preserve the size and volume of your brain and and therefore kind of hopefully improve the function of your brain but also our psychological relationship with food Mm -hmm. and and how how it does play an emotional role in our lives how it does bring people closer to us how we do use it to soothe us and that's not necessarily a bad thing Mm -hmm. you know the idea that all comfort eating is should be avoided it isn't true Mm -hmm. actually there's something quite valuable about being able to soothe yourself 
in a, a broad range of ways, whether that's having a hot bath or talking to a friend or going for a walk or having a lovely bowl of soup mm-hmm. that makes you feel like you're connected to something or makes you feel soothed sure. and better. And so I think there is a huge opportunity for more to be going on yeah. in that area. And I, I wonder, I'm just going to give you something to chew on, <laughs> um, I wonder whether there isn't something quite valuable about the opportunity to to have a space which is about a kind of maybe bringing people who are in recovery mm-hmm. together over a meal, mm-hmm. providing meals for people who are in yep. recovery of, of some, in some way. Yeah. Um, might be an interesting idea. Maybe we'll kind of percolate on that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I had all sorts of um, dreams of things I'd like to create. And for a while, I mean, they've sort of varied in scale. Shoot them off. Maybe someone will get in touch <laughs> and we can make it happen. So, I mean, the, the kind of real pie in the sky is have a retreat in the countryside and you've got a kitchen garden and a herbal medicinal garden and, mm-hmm. like, use the kitchen garden as somewhere people can come and use that as therapy to have purpose and learn a skill and use it as sort of meditative ways. Also maybe have a cookery school for the same mm. purpose. I really think that the act of cooking has so many therapeutic benefits, whether it be the fact that you're cooking for somebody else and that you are showing love by giving something to someone. Mm. Also just the methodical nature of stirring something mm. and baking and all those sorts of things or learning a skill and seeing something from ingredients to a final product in a quite short space of time and the for me I think that's the sense of achievement mm-hmm. in quite a small amount of time I think could give someone quite a lot of confidence um, and then being able to take that home and, and, and give that and share that with other people so all those sorts of things I've always kind of had a little dream about but then I'm always so aware that the people that need probably the most help are probably based in cities and those sort of spaces just mm-hmm. don't exist so another idea is, is to have a kind of cafe type space um, and in my mind I'd call it our space <laughs> got a name for it um, and um, it would just be a place where you would make your money through the cafe mm-hmm. um, and that would be your sort of bread and butter but I really would want I wanted a space where people could, felt like they could come if they were lonely if they mm. you know and just and just really bill it as somewhere where if you're new to the city or if you mm. you know yeah, I've been so lonely in London over the years and I've got loads of friends and I know loads of people but I've had, you know, lots of moments where I've been like, oh, no one's called me today, like, you know, or yeah. whatever it might be and, and you can feel very lonely in a big city and I would just love it to be a, a place where people felt that they could come and sit at a table with another person and just strike up a conversation and then perhaps in that space also have evening talks or workshops about anxiety or depression or whatever it might be just sort of giving people skills and tools or, or a place where they just feel like they can come mm. yeah that's the kind of vibe that great oh, yeah yes i'll do some workshops <laughs> yes um so it's, yeah it's essentially just food and community for me is just huge so combining those two things would be a really cool thing to do it's just where where mm. when and money yeah <laughs> damn it just practical issues tiny yeah tiny little things yeah I'll just I'll just go back to my room have a little sleep and dream about it again I'll be fine <laughs> what either in the magazine world or because when you're talking about tracking trends and being aware of what's hot right now mm-hmm. was there anything that kind of made you a bit mad about oh god yeah no <laughs> so many yeah, I was just lit up there. <laughs> take it away oh I mean I have to say and it's quite, you know, well reported now, the whole clean eating thing and the amount of books that I would have land on my desk that were, I mean, I feel really, I'm sorry if I offended anybody, but essentially just the same person and what I think the same recipes just over and over again, this sort of mid-twenties, um, long brunette, sort of mousy brown hair person in yoga gear cooking something with chia or I don't know make to spiralizing anything she could find basically um I found that a really difficult thing to get on board with and I don't think we really did as a magazine get behind that too much because I just wasn't convinced by any of it and um you know also I work for Jamie Oliver I'm not going to replace pasta with a courgette 
that's impossible. I can't do that. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow I'd have your... Exactly. <laughs> I'd be hung, drawn and quartered. No, I mean, it's interesting. And um, I think there's space, there's, you know, there's space for elements of what they were trying to say. And I think what's really interesting is that people are taking so much more interest in the nutrients of food and mm-hmm. I think there's only benefits from understanding what's in your food, caring about that more, knowing what it all means, you know, understanding fibres and fats and that's great and I'm wholeheartedly behind that. It was just the, the sort of forcefulness and the replacement thing and mm. and I just was just a bit like, hang on, whoa, whoa there, just let's just think about this for a minute yeah i call it the difference between kind of nutritional awareness and nutritionism mm. you know where you and, and i i have to be very careful about this because uh, you know on one side one of the things i do care about is that people give their brains in particular what mm. you know the nourishment and the the kind of building blocks that it needs to function as well as possible and some of that is about letting people know about mm-hmm. what the components of certain certain foods are but on the other side I want people to enjoy food mm. in its plethora sure. in, as widely as possible and and at times at times knowing that overeating is completely normal like mm. we're coming up to christmas like i whole like, <laughs> i completely expect you to eat too yeah, much yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you almost, don't i'll be upset you're kind of missing out if you don't there are there are kind of seasons and periods in the year where we know we eat too much but that's part of it's part of society, it's yeah. part of culture, it's part of the feasting, it's part of being with people. It's about, yeah. it's about having scrambled eggs and salmon for breakfast with Prosecco. No, yeah, exactly, <laughs> it's not exactly. normal, yeah. but it's Christmas and, it, and it's part of a much bigger a much bigger story. And so trying to balance that, you know, here is a, a bit of information about nutrition, but also here is how food is, is just a lovely thing, mm-hmm. it's one of life's pleasures, mm. is, is slightly a tricky balance, but I think one that needs to be... Yeah. I think people are are becoming a lot more careful with that and aren't just sort of jumping on all these bandwagons. Is it, I mean, I feel like, maybe I I haven't tried it enough, I feel like I have this unpopular opinion that chia seeds are (laughs) (laughs) most disgusting. I mean, they are a little bit like Foxborn, let's not lie. (laughs) Why are we pretending that they taste nice? I don't know. I mean, I kind of, I mean, the whole chia jam thing I thought was kind of interesting. I was like, okay, you could, I mean, it's not jam, let's not Mm, pretend. Because we're jam making. I know, exactly. But in terms of like turning something around quite quickly, which, you know, sure. I, you know, it's interesting, but no, I don't buy them. No, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Chia, not going to. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, and it is, you know, it's a seed and it's a, it's a whole thing and it's, you know, it's great. got its place, it's, it's fine. But I think I just take too much pleasure in other foods and I would rather, if I'm going to eat something that's going to fill me up, I'd rather it be eggs or, <laughs> yeah, I mean, eggs just every day all the time people have been very worried about eggs and cholesterol and all of this sort of stuff mm. and and finally the fda i think in the uk we dropped it a while ago mm. but the fda is just about to drop the guidelines around restricting cholesterol because the evidence against cholesterol right. and heart disease just isn't doesn't there. add up yeah and and we know that dietary cholesterol doesn't have any effect pretty much for everyone on on blood cholesterol levels, so eggs for everyone, <laughs> all the time, eggs every day. It's my go-to. It's my total go-to. I think um, number one, my grandparents had chickens in the garden when I was a kid, so I've got lots of lovely memories oh, of Meg and Jemima. Uh, legends. <laughs> there is Jemima was always a duck or a yeah, chicken yeah. or a yeah, yeah. Jemima. It's from old um, Beatrix Potter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've got lovely memories of like, you know circling around for those in the in the garden how many eggs a day does the average chicken i lay? couldn't tell you no. that i don't know so I, I was about four at the time <laughs> wasn't monitoring but yeah i mean living like i said as a single person i'm quite i'm quite often cooking for one so I, I and i just i tend to just have lots of veg lots of other stuff in the fridge and it just eggs just work perfectly mm. for breakfast lunch and dinner so yeah but you raised another point actually about because one of the things that well, actually raised lots of points, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put together. Um, one is that that London can be an incredibly lonely place for everyone, mm. and I often see people who are you know, young and bright and and able and doing well professionally who come and they complain that something's not right and they're not happy and they're annoyed with themselves for not you know making full making the most making of, most of everything yeah. and taking full advantage and that they're feeling kind of low. And for some people, I just you know. It's not you, it's London. There's mm. a, a real kind of pathological intensity about London, about 
pushing harder and staying mm. up longer and yeah. working longer hours and being in the 100%. office and then doing that but also doing your yoga class at six in the morning mm. and drinking it you know it, and it's it's all a bit ridiculous and everyone's kind of sitting down and looking at these London lifestyle bloggers and thinking they have it all and thinking why am I not doing that why am I not partaking yeah. in that so this is kind of one thing about London being actually a very lonely place for a lot of people the other thing is how it can feel disheartening or a waste of time to cook for yourself mm-hmm. and one of my other guests was a friend of mine Becca Lyon Perkis and she she isn't single but she, her husband is in the military so he's away a lot and so what she does is what she calls a solo suppers mm-hmm. and she could because she wants people who might be on their own to know a that it's possible to cook for one mm-hmm. and if you don't you know you've got extras and you've got leftovers for another day but b that it's worth it that mm-hmm. it is an act uh, we discussed of, of self-care and of self-nourishment to cook something mm-hmm. for yourself that you don't need to just get by on a piece of toast that yeah it's really an important thing to do for yourself 100%, yeah i mean i the nature of my work means that i you know i love food i love cooking and it's very easy to i mean especially if you're surrounded by food you're on food shoots there's a lot i mean i've eaten a lot of food in the last five years <laughs> a lot an obscene amount unnecessary quantities of food have gone into my face excellent um but you know we're, we were creating points between 60 and 80 recipes a month and those recipes have to be tested and i had to try all of them and that sounds like a terrible thing to do but actually at some point you can be a bit just like you know i don't have any control over what i'm eating and that can be upsetting so sometimes you would come home from, you know, testing nine lamb recipes and be like, I just don't want to eat. And so now I'm really excited because I have more control of, of what I'm eating. But still, when I when I was working and, and doing that, I used to get excited about what I could make when I got home. And it's easy to get out of the habit, but I started trying to cook more from books and trying to learn more recipes and different styles of things and then building those into your repertoire. Because it is, I think, sometimes... It can seem like an effort and you sometimes have to buy lots of ingredients and blah, blah, blah. Mm. But if you make something and you really enjoy it and just try and make it two or three times so that it's kind of just builds into your memory and then you just know how to cook it and that's what that's just something you make. Mm. Um, it can be a lot easier said than done. Um, but having... I'm, I'm really lucky because I've, I've always cooked and I really enjoy food. Um, I've got a certain amount of skills under my belt so I can just look in my cupboard and be like, right, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And that does take time and it takes practice. Um but yeah, I would definitely say it's it's worth it and it's important. What's your go-to? I mean... Maybe you have a couple. Well, I mean, my go-to in terms of... I've got... Like, I'm just tired and I don't want to think about it. I would. It's always going to be something that has cavernero or some sort of cabbage, um, shredded, onions, garlic, chilli, um, sort of stir-fried, maybe sort of caraway seeds or cumin, coriander, and then... Fried eggs. eggs. Yeah, basically. That's just, it's ready in five to ten minutes mm-hmm. and it's bloody delicious. And I'd have that for breakfast as well. You know, it works any time of the day. Sounds delicious. For yeah. Breakfast. Yummy. It's really good. I've got into a little habit recently. I started going to these um, R Parks workout things, which is like free exercise in, in local parks in London. Mm-hmm. It's really great. But they sort of start about 10 o'clock in the morning. So by the time I get home, it's sort of like midday. And I, by then I sort of feel like I, I'm allowed to have like two eggs and a giant breakfast. <laughs> That's why I've been, rather than having like porridge or something simple, mm. I've been having, you know, quite epic, epic breakfasts nice. of late. Yeah, it's good. Delicious. Mm. Okay, so is there anything, I wonder if there's anything else I haven't asked you, anything pressing about food or a message you want to get out to people about food, perhaps from your perspective? working mm-hmm. on a food magazine or I mean I'm just a massive advocate as we've touched on so much of of just of cooking from scratch and and taking the time to do it and trying to do it with people and yeah I think I think it's sometimes difficult because I have been in a very privileged position mm-hmm. for quite a long time and I'm at an extreme level of of food and I will spend a lot of money on ingredients um I don't think you have to uh, in that I really think that quality over quantity is something that just stands the test of time in so many elements and getting a good quality egg and good quality vegetables and that's that din- dinner that I was explaining mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be fancy to be good and I think the more and more you get involved with food the more you you love food that just 
that actually happens and that you realise that more and more the more you kind of get into it. Um, you know, when I first started cooking, I'd want to do this sauce and that sauce and want to make it all fancy and it will be shiny, shiny. And, and now I'm just, uh, the best thing could be a really, really beautiful cheese or a really, really good tomato on toast, salt, mm-hmm. pepper, olive oil. Like, and, and that's it really. If people want to find you on socials, <laughs> catch up you, thank yeah. you for your contribution, <laughs> follow your story, where can they do that? So I'm not the biggest Twitterer, tweeter, twit, twitteroo, no, that's not <laughs> me. Um, I'm an absolute Instagram fiend. So yes, my name on Instagram is NivmeisterFlex, obviously. Um, I'll tag that in the show notes <laughs> if you click you. on. Um, yes, well, you'll probably find lots of pictures of eggs, to be honest with you. That's absolutely fine. Claire, thank you so, so much <laughs> for having me. It's been making the time and um, taking time out of your sabbatical. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, I'm so busy doing eating, actually. That's what I'm mainly doing. I'm just still eating. I think this should go out whilst the last issue of Jamie Magazine is on the stand, so everybody go and grab that. It might be worth yes, please. a, a, few, <laughs> a few years' time. You never know, yeah. Um, I'm going to come back and get you to sign it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you very, very Brilliant. much. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I've loved it. It's been really fun. And that's it. Thanks again to Claire for her time and generosity. You can follow Claire on Instagram at NivmeisterFlex. That's K-N-I-V-M-E-I-S-T-E-R-F-L-E-X, where there are, as promised, plenty of pictures of eggs. In a couple of the upcoming episodes, I'll be digging deeper into our relationship with food and the role of the media on those. So do subscribe so that you don't miss any of those episodes. That just leaves me to thank you very, very much for listening. And until next time, I wish you the very best of health. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.